I'd love to have you turn in your Bibles to page 725, in the Pew Bibles, rather, if you want to follow along in your own, turn to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses 40 to 52, the end of the chapter. We'll finish Luke 2 today, and we'll start in Luke 3 next week. We'll read, follow along as I read aloud. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with, us with wisdom, and grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was twelve years old, they sent one up to the feast, according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we sing to you today a new song. You have done marvelous things. Your right hand and your holy arm have worked salvation for us. You have made known your salvation. You have revealed your righteousness in the sight of all nations. You have remembered your steadfast love and faithfulness to your house. All the ends of the earth have seen your salvation, O God. So God, our hearts are filled with joy this morning. You will judge the world in righteousness and your peoples with fairness. Praise your holy and awesome name. Father, you tell us to pray for our leaders, so we do so now. We pray specifically for our local city council. We pray that you will give them wisdom in dealing with the affairs of Rock Hill. We pray that you give them hearts to serve rather than hearts that want to be served. Use them as your instruments. Father, we pray for other churches in our area. We pray specifically this morning for Reggie Hopkins at Calvary. We pray that you will continue to grant him healing in his back and make him a powerful instrument in your hands. Use him to build up the people of God in Christ. Grant him favor for your namesake. Father, we also pray for gospel to bear fruit in other lands. We pray for Russia this morning. We pray that people's eyes may be open to hear and receive your truth. We pray specifically, God, for the children that are being hurt with the laws of wickedness. God, we pray that you convict the leaders of their sin against you and your children. Father, whoever receives a child in your name receives you, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in you to sin, it would be better for them to have a great millstone fast around their neck and be dropped into the depth of the sea. So God, be merciful to Russia. Help them repent. We pray also for the na- that nation, that the Christians there will rise and meet the challenge of caring for the orphans in that land. We also pray for those who are hurting among us. We pray specifically for Olin. McKee, as he's grieving the loss of his dear wife. 
Father, we also pray for those in our congregation who knew Miss Winnie uh, and who are going to grieve her passing. Comfort them, we pray, Lord God. We pray for also, God, those in our congregation who are struggling with chronic pain. God, we pray for physical relief. We also pray for faith to endure the suffering of this fallen world. Father, we ask now for our own hearts. We pray that you teach us by your Spirit. Guide us into all truth. Give us us hearts to learn this morning. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, Well, we we have a great passage of Scripture uh, this morning. I can't wait to dive in. Um, But before you do, one of my college majors uh, was intellectual history. I should say one of. The only major I had when I was in college was intellectual history. Now, when I tell people, most people look at me like, was that even a major? Like, is that some kind of special history different than other sorts of history? Um, Well, what what the major is, it's really the study of thought over time. How did ideas or books kind of change uh, the course of history? Uh, So for centuries, most scholars believe that the standard for intellectual thought was Aristotle. Uh, Aristotle's treatise and logic of, uh, and, uh, was the Organon, right? The book that he wrote, it was the standard for logic for centuries. Well, in 1620, an English philosopher named Francis Bacon uh, wrote the Novum Organum, the, the new way of thinking, the new thought, challenging the Aristotelian thought and pro- proposed a new way. If you go back to Francis Bacon, he was the one that really started the shift to the Enlightenment. So what we experience today in, in the Enlightenment way of thinking in, in the West, in America, in Britain, all started from Francis Bacon. I love that. I love how things work and turn. Uh, but I, I love that on a macro scale as much as I do on a micro scale. I love people's stories. I love sitting there and talking to them and asking them, tell me your story. And I love hearing how God has, hap- has, has caused certain events to happen in their life to bring them where they are today. Uh, well, to the, today we have the opportunity to look at a key story in the life of the Lord Jesus that helps us understand who He is, what was His uh, purpose. So if you take your bulletin and you flip on the back, we have an outline uh, for you this morning. Uh, there's four things I think we must learn uh, from this text. First, we must learn for ourselves. We must learn for ourselves. There comes a time in everyone's life that we must move out of the, the parent, our parents' protection and shadow. Uh, they move from being a child of so-and-so to being their own name. So, for example, for me, uh, there, there was a time in my life I moved from being the son of Doug and Joanne to being Dave. That's exactly what we see happening here in this text. We see in verse 40 that the child, Jesus, grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Then we see at the end of this section, verse 52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Did you hear that change? Right, the beginning verse says, The child grew and became strong. And it ends with Jesus grew. Luke's trying to make a point here. In this beginning of the section, Jesus moves from being, a, being looked at as a child to be looked at as a man by his own name. So I think it's instructive to us when we, when we look at this passage that something key is happening here in the life of Jesus. So look back with me at the text this morning in verse 41. 
Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. And after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus, now it's a boy, not a child, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They began looking for him among their relatives and and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now, this is the only information in the entire Gospels of a story of Jesus as a boy. We have the story of the narrative, which we're very familiar with. We just kind of went through that Christmas season. And then we have him as, as an adult entering his public ministry. This is the only uh, part, story found only in Luke that explains Jesus as a child. When we look at the beginning, we, as discussed last week, Luke starts by pointing out the faithfulness of Joseph and Mary. Verse 41 reads, Every year, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. We, just, we want to drive that home. Jesus grew up in a home that honored the word of the Lord. It was not even a requirement for women. Actually, it was actually looked at as, 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 a, as a way of special honor or special, special um, piety for a woman to make this trip to Jerusalem. So we could see Mary was a woman of special piety. Now, verse 42 gives us a detail that's very important. It says, when he was 12 years old. The age of Jesus is important because at the age of 13, Jewish boys were looked at as being responsible before God. In our, in our culture, those of you who have friends who, who are still practicing uh, Judaism, uh, they, they have something at the age of 13 called the bar mitzvah, meaning the son of the law or the son of the commandment. That's the, the idea that the, the son is moving under his parents' authority into uh, his own. He is now individually responsible before God. So right before Jesus has that moment at the age of 13 where he's individually responsible for God, Jesus is going to make a statement of who he is for himself. And I think that's instructive for us. Parents, your children must learn who Jesus is for themselves. We can give them all we want, we can pray for them, we can teach them, but there comes a day when they have to make that decision for themselves. So encourage them to make that decision for themselves. And children, those of you who are here, can I just challenge you? There's going to come a day that you're going to have to make that decision for yourselves. That it's not going to be your parents' faith anymore, but you're going to have to make that decision for yourselves. That's one of the reasons, as a church, we want you listening in here. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we want you to listen to the Word of God being preached so you can make that decision for yourselves so that one day you can say that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. We pray for you often that you make that decision. Well, before we we move on and we get to the purpose of this passage, uh, let's look at how this story unfolds. Uh, It's it's, it's good. It's a great story. Uh, Verse 43. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. So this notice, again, this child is no longer a child, but he's now a boy. We see a progression in this section. So we start to see that progression. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. You know, as one parent points out, Mary and Joseph were not negligent parents. Sometimes we think, man, 
They didn't know where their son was. What is going on? Well, typically, they, they would travel in large groups for, for their own safety, to avoid robbers along the way, but also just for fellowship and companionship. I'm not sure about you, when you're, there's a, a large group and there's a lot of walking together, it's better to be with more people. Well, the children usually would be in the front because they had the shortest legs. They didn't have caravans. They had walking <laughs> caravans. When you walk, I'm not sure about you, but if I'm leading the way at my family, I'm always saying this, come on, keep up, right? Having the kids lead the way kind of sets the pace of the whole movement so parents wouldn't walk ahead of them. Now, remember that Jesus was the Son of God. He never sinned. He was perfectly obedient to the Father. Now, you would probably think that Jesus was trustworthy. Now, he's a 12-year-old boy. You know, as children go on, you give them more levels of trust when they prove themselves. Well, we could probably imagine that Jesus had trust of his parents. So his parents probably weren't worried that he was with the company. Well, at the end of the night, they went there, and they weren't there. You know, they, did, they, were, they were gone. You know, some scholars, it says that they, they, they went back for three days. They found him in Jerusalem. Now, scholars are, are unsure if this was a, the three days from the beginning of their travels or three days looking in Jerusalem. It's probably a day of travel, which is about 20 to 25 miles, a day of travel back, and the next day they found him. So parts of three days. But you can know what's in in the hearts of these parents. I mean, can you imagine walking to the front, everyone's looking for their kids and parents running to to their uh, relatives and their children, cousins going to their aunts and uncles, and then all of a sudden you you look and you see there's no Jesus. There's no Jesus? Panic. Tear. I don't know about you, but if you ever have, when when your children were young, when you go into a store and you just kind of look for a second and you don't see your child, I don't know what happens to you. You know, you, you go kind of, you, you're, you're gripped with fear. A couple of years ago, Alan and I took um, the family to Myrtle Beach, and we went to Eagles, because that's what you do at Myrtle Beach. Uh, so we're there, and we're looking for trinkets and toys for the beach, and, you know, we're at one side of the store, and our kids walked away, and I looked down, and I didn't see Elizabeth. She wasn't there. And, of course, immediately when you don't see your child, the first, your first thought is what? She's gone. I'm never going to see this child again. She was taken, right? I'm at Myrtle Beach. There's crazies out here at Myrtle Beach. God bless South Carolina, but we know Myrtle Beach. So I'm I'm terrified. And it was about two minutes before I found her, right? She was at the other end of the store just looking at something, but I couldn't find her. I was yelling and she she didn't answer me. Ellen and I were terrified. That was like two minutes. Imagine three days of the fear of not knowing where your child was. I mean, these were real human beings. They're not just people in a story. They're real people of history. Panic and tear. Verse 46 says, After three days they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously anxiously searching for you. That's probably a bit of an understatement, right? Uh, I, could, I could imagine my response there, and it probably would not be very calm. I would probably be full of, of fear and anger and uh, relief all mixed in uh, to one. But before we move on and we get to the point of what Luke's trying to say here in this passage, I think we can make an application learning from this young boy, Jesus, which brings us to our second point. Uh, we must learn by effort. We must learn by effort. 
Look back at verse 46 in our text this morning. It says, They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, this, this verse kind of unpacks a little bit more, verse 40 and ver- verse uh, 52, how Jesus grew and has in wisdom and stature among men. Verse 52 says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. I think these, these verses are here to show us that Jesus was fully man. He had to develop and grow as a child would. Now, it's hard for our minds to grasp this. You know, when I think about this, it's hard for my own mind to even think about it. Uh, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. How can he be fully God and yet have to grow and have to learn? Well, listen how one person um, one pastor explains this. But it's not, it's not easy to imagine how Christ can be God and not omniscient or all-knowing. Evidently, the incarnate Christ was able somehow to bracket or limit the actual exercise of his divine powers so that the, he had the personality of God, basically the motives and will of God, but the powers of knowing all and his infinite strength of God, he somehow restrained or emptied himself of. They were, his potent, they were there potentially, thus he was God, but he surrendered them their, their use absolutely so he was a man. It's difficult to understand, but we know from other texts, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus says, No one knows about the day or hour or even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So Jesus did not know all while he was a man. But beloved, let's not miss the obvious in the, in the mix of the complex. Jesus went to the temple courts and sat among the teachers, listening and asking questions. Jesus took initiative to learn about the things of God. He went to the teachers to learn of these things of God. He asked questions of the things of God. He answered questions so he could understand the things of God. Now, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sought out a teacher to ask questions about what is in the Word, don't you think we should do the same? You know how many times a pastor will hear, I just don't feel like I'm being fed in their ministry? It happens quite a bit because what most people do, they look at the pastor and say, it's your job to feed me. Feed me the Word. And I pray I do that. I pray that our services are dense, they're full of the Word of God, that you can grow. But there comes a time when you have to seek out answers for yourself. And it takes a little effort, doesn't it? Right? Studying the things of God are difficult because God is big. If knowing God was simple, he may not be a very big God. I mean, think about that. We want things to be easy in our culture. But God says work to know the things of God. Jesus, the the perfect one, sought out teachers and asked questions. If you are not hungry to learn about the things of God, you have to ask yourself why. Why do you not want to seek out the things of God? Is it because of time? Fear? Apathy? God is big. His ways are big. We need to seek out answers. So seek out questions or seek out teachers and ask those questions. Can I just encourage you? Utilize Sunday school. 
It was a blessing to sit with the, uh, the adult Sunday school class upstairs and, 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 and see how they're growing in the knowledge of God, seeing how they're talking about how God's grand plan of redemption from, from the creation, through the covenants, through the law. It's beautiful to see. If you're not growing, hey, plug into a Sunday school class. Now, I know some of you have your reasons for not joining a class. Can I encourage you? Tell me. All right, come to me and let me know if, if maybe this happened, we would, we would enter into a Sunday school class. We can create opportunities for you to grow, but we, you have to meet us halfway, right? Sunday school in our church is kind of where life happens, right? You know, how, how difficult it is to get to know people. We come on a Sunday morning, then what happens? We go to lunch. <laughs> we don't get a chance to talk. Sometimes the best way to get to know people is either over, over a meal outside of church or in Sunday school, right? That's where life happens. So if you're not in Sunday school, you're missing out on the life of this church. Let me encourage you to, to, to plug in. Uh, well, thirdly, we must learn his purpose. We must learn his purpose, the purpose of Christ. Look, look back with me at verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why are you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, throughout the gospel, this gospel of Luke, Luke uses the idea of understanding or hearing the word and receiving as a way of saying, watch out, right? This is important stuff. If you miss this, you're missing something big. So it says Mary and Joseph did not understand. So this is important. Um, and remember again, this is the only part in all the Gospels that mentioned Jesus as a boy. This is one of those significant events that would change the direction of his life. So the scene is showing that Jesus has a unique relationship with God, the Father. Mary says, your Father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus replied, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, that wasn't Jesus taking a shot at Joseph, right? Joseph was raising him as his own in a godly way. But Jesus said, my father, this is my father's house. Didn't understand. But Jesus did not get his main identity from his earthly parents. He got it from his father in heaven. The literal translation of that verse means, I had to be in the blank of my father's house, or in, in my, in my, of my father. So it says, let me say it again, I messed it up. Uh, I had to be in the blank of my father. Now most translations read what we read. I had to be, I must be in my father's house. Uh, the King James Version, which many of you may know, says I must be about my father's business. Both uh, translations are fine. Um, but I think we, we should look at Jesus now knew his purpose. At 12 years old, he knew his purpose. He knew why he had come. He was making a statement on the eve of entering manhood and soon to be responsible before God in the eyes of the community that he was here for a particular purpose. He was here to do the will of the Father. Now, there's a Greek word there, day, translated must here in the text. It usually points out in this gospel something that's very specific and very important. It's, it's used also in Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 22, when it says this, And he said, Jesus, the Son of Man must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Even when that word comes up again, that, that must, that, that the imperative, this, this must happen. Jesus is referring to him as the Son of Man. Jesus ever lives as the Son before the Father. To do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is what? That he must suffer. Jesus must suffer. Be killed and be raised to life. Mark 10.45 says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to do his Father's business. And his business was saving this lost and broken world. So I think this story is very important because at the age of 12, we now know that Jesus understood his mission. Jesus knew what he was called to do. Now, we don't know when that happened. We don't know if it was 6, 8, 10, but we know here that he, he's telling everybody, I know why I'm here. I know why I exist. I know why God has placed me on this earth. So Jesus would live with that knowledge for the next 18 years before he would enter his public ministry. He would live as a son responsible for God under the law so that he would redeem those under the law. Listen to Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. To do what? To redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. So at age 12, Jesus says, why are you searching for me? I must be in my father's house. Jesus knew his purpose, but Mary and Joseph didn't understand. You know, that idea of not understanding wasn't just Mary and Joseph. It was a lot of Luke's readers. Remember the whole point of why he was writing this, to explain the certainty of the things that Theophilus, the most excellent Theophilus, had been taught. Well, beloved, there are many of us here today who do not understand this. So we must know not only God's purpose, the purpose of Jesus Christ, but our purpose. And that's that last point. We must learn our purpose. Isn't it important to have a purpose? Uh, you know, as a pastor, uh, when you make changes, you don't want to make changes willy-nilly. So all the changes that you see in the service today, are there's a purpose behind them. I'm trying to be theologically driven, making sure we're more accurate from the Bible. But why do we exist? Why are we here? This is something that should be reviewed for us. We exist for the glory of Jesus Christ and the spread of his name among all the nations. Remember Colossians 1, verses 15 to 18? He, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things, including you, all things were created by him and for him. You were created for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything we might, he might have supremacy. We exist for Jesus Christ because he is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. We are not our own, but we belong to God, both body and soul in life and in death. Now, Jesus Christ is the key that unlocks all of life. 
If you want to know your purpose here, Jesus Christ is the key that unlocks it. And I, I am more confident that the church is the key that unlocks how we live that out. It's not that Jesus opens up the door to help us understand the purpose of life. How we live that out is, is the key is the church. And I think largely we've just forgotten how important the church is. Listen to Galatians 4 again that I just read. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons. Because you are sons and daughters. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So we are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir. See, understanding Jesus' unique relationship as God's son helps us because we are supposed to be like Christ. We are called to be sons and daughters. Jesus is not only our savior, he is our elder brother who would redeem us, who would buy us back to make us sons and daughters with full rights and heirs. See, and because Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father, remember, he said, if I don't go, I can't send you my spirit to guide you into all truth. I must go. I must die. I must be buried. I must be raised from the dead. Why? So I can send you the Holy Spirit so that we can cry, Abba, Father. Beloved, we cry in, the, in our spirits, God is our Father. He's not our judge. He's our Father. That's right here in this passage, what Jesus is trying to tell us. John 1, verses 11 and 12. He came to that which his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Are you born again? Have you been born of God? If you are born of God, you will do the will of the Father. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 46 and 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers were outside wanting to speak to him. Someone said to Jesus, your mothers and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak with you. He replied to them, who is my mother? Who is my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of the, my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Our purpose is to do the will of the Father. Now, isn't it interesting how God set up society? The foundation building blocks of every society is what? It's the family, right? It's the family of father, fathers and, and mothers and sons, husbands and wives. And I think it's also interesting that the way, how God set up his new kingdom, how his, his, his kingdom will come as a family, as sons and daughters interacting with one another. So let's just take a step back here. If our purpose is to do the will of the Father, isn't it important to know about the Father, to know about his will? Can I just encourage you again? Seek out the things of God. Learn. Right? There's plenty of resources, uh, talks, 
You can go online, read sermons, books. Come to my office, right? Call me, say, hey, I would love to meet. I'd love to talk to you. Man, I, I will make time for that conversation, talking about the things of God. And you know what's encouraging, beloved? Those of you who may not know, but we have a lot of young people here. A lot of younger kids are starting to ask questions about God. Who God is? Am I a sinner? How do I be saved? They're starting to ask those questions. Like the young boy Jesus. Can I just challenge you who are older? Seek out the things of God. Seek out the things of God. Because this is no small matter. This is life and death. This is life and death. Every time one of us dies, we are confronted yet again with our mortality. Every single one of us hears, unless the Lord tarries, we'll pass away. Listen to what John chapter 6, verse 40 says. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. We will all face death. But those who look to the Son, God will raise up for eternal life. You need to seek that out. Paul says to young Timothy, take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. Jesus said, I must be in my Father's house. Now that imagery is very specific because he's talking of the temple. But that imagery is not just literal, it's also metaphoric, it's figurative. I read this verse last week, it's again fitting today. Remember that Simeon referred to Jesus as that living stone, right? That cornerstone that's going to make men stumble. Well, listen to 1 Peter 1, verse, chapter 2, verse 4. As you, as you come to him, the living stone, the Lord Jesus, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into what? Into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. The church is the Father's spiritual house. We are living stones being built to be a people of God. The more and more, uh, I'm just convinced that, this, that the church unlocks that purpose of how we are called to live. See, the church gives us a place to express our gifts to build up others, right? How can you express patience or show your, your gift of preaching or teaching or your gift of generosity outside of the local church? You may be able to do it, but I think it's very, 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 very difficult to do so. The church is where we find teachers to learn about the will of God. The church gives us a community where we can declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Without the church, I believe it's almost impossible to live out the purposes of God. This is why God gave us each other, so that we could do what? We could do the will of the Father. So Jesus said, I want to be in my Father's house. Beloved, every time you gather here, we are coming as the Father's house. And Jesus is present through His Spirit. It's the gathering that makes us a church. It's the gathering that makes us a house, a spiritual house of God's own possession. So if you are here and you're not a member of, of, of our fellowship, we would love to have you. We would love to have you come together with us to be, to be built into the spiritual house so that we can do the will of the Father. 
Because Jesus Christ said, I am about my Father's business. I must be in my Father's house. We should do the same. We should do the same. Now, most times, um, people will often say, well, you don't need the church to be a Christian. People say that. You may be right, but you can't be a faithful, obedient Christian without the church. And besides that, you're just missing out, right? You're just missing out. This church is an awesome place. I praise God for this fellowship. I have learned so much from you. And I pray that I'll learn even more as I watch your examples and I watch you grow and as you watch me grow. Why? So we can do the will of the Father. As we look to the Son, that one day, when we close our eyes in death, God will raise us up for eternal life. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we, love, we love you. Uh, we thank you so much for this time. Uh, we ask your uh, blessing as we depart. God, build us into a spiritual house for your namesake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.